Uh, good evening, congregation. Please turn your Bible back to 1 Timothy chapter 5 on page 1184. 1184, 1 Timothy 5. Uh, we'll be continuing our series uh, on the letter of 1 Timothy. And in the middle of your bulletin, there'll be an outline for you to follow. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here together again. And we pray that we uh, will cherish the word given to us in 1 Timothy and comprehend how we might live it out. We pray this in the Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine if you are general manager of a big company uh, with hundreds of employees. How will you run this company? How will you manage these many people who are working under you? I guess the first thing that comes to the mind of most of you will be that how you're going to make profit for the company. Uh, how you're going to make sure that the, the, the employees produce results. Uh, well, the goals may be simple, uh, but it will not be easy to achieve it. Uh, you have to set the right direction for the company, set the right policies and the right working environment. Uh, you have to pay your workers the appropriate amount of wages, uh, not too low, not too high. Uh, to keep them motivated to fight for the company. Some of you may indeed be a GM or a senior management person in a company, and you do know how much work is involved in managing a company. Well, why do I bring this out? Because I think Timothy in the Bible was sort of like a GM. But the difference is that he's not, he was not running a company, but he was leading a church in Ephesus. As a church leader, Timothy's task uh, was as hard as complicated. He also needed to manage many people in the church. As a church leader, though, Timothy did not, need, did not need to worry about generating profit, but his responsibility was even harder and more significant, which was to grow the maturity and godliness of all the members in it. And in today's passage, uh, we'll read about how Paul gave instructions to young leader Timothy and how to lead the church and particularly how to lead the three different groups of people in it. Uh, the, the three different groups are the widows, the elders, and the slaves. And therefore, our sermon today will have uh, four distinct sections, uh, the three sections on the three groups, and a beginning section on how Timothy ought to treat all individuals. And as we go through uh, some of the complex issues in this passage, hopefully we'll realize uh, the huge and significant role of Timothy as a leader. And hopefully, uh, we will learn important principles about how, as a church, as a whole, we ought to conduct. So firstly, uh, the first two verses of chapter 5 are instructions from Paul on how Timothy was to relate to different individuals in the church. Paul asked Timothy to relate to older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. And so, although Timothy was a leader in the church, he was to relate to older men like he was to relate to his own father. This means that Timothy was to have regard to their old age, assure them due honor and respect. But this does not mean that Timothy then ceased to be their leader in faith. Timothy was still to exhort these older men to live out their Christian lives, but he was to exhort them with gentleness and respect. And likewise, Timothy was to encourage older women like his mother. And next, Timothy was to treat younger men like brothers. 
I guess the emphasis here was that he was to care for them, like one should care for his biological brother. He was to care for their spiritual growth, for their spiritual godliness, as he was indeed their spiritual brother in faith. Finally, Timothy was to treat younger women like sisters. Here, the emphasis for this group is a phrase in all purity. Timothy must not have any kind of romantic or flirtatious relationship with them. He must treat all of them like sisters in purity. And so what Paul instructed Timothy here uh, is what we all have to do as well as Christians. Because Paul said it back in chapter 4, verse 12, that Timothy was to be an example to the church in his speech and conduct. The good example set by Timothy as a young leader in Ephesus was to be followed by all the Christians as a way to obey God's good commandment. Therefore, first and foremost, uh, our leaders in this church have to follow what Paul said here. And secondly, when the church members see the godly examples of our leaders here, they are also encouraged to do the same. And so specifically, we, have, we all have to make sure that we are gentle and respectful to those who are much older than us, but while at the same time seeking to encourage them to grow in their godliness. And the second important uh, thing that we learn is that is how we ought to relate to the members of the opposite sex in church. Whoever is not your wife or your husband, you have to treat them in all purity, exactly like how you would treat your own biological sister or your own biological brother. That was what Paul said in the first section in verse 1 and verse 2. Secondly, we come to the second section where Paul treats about the issues of, of the widows. He studies in verse 3, he says, Honor widows who are truly widows. When Paul used the word honor, he meant providing financial support to them. Uh, the Christian church from the very beginning have sought to care for the needy widows among them. And we see this back in the book of Acts chapter 6. Uh, where the distribution of food or material needs to the widows was mentioned. And so likewise, back then in Ephesus, where Timothy was, uh, the church had a system of providing financial help to the widows. Uh, there were those who were enrolled officially in, in this system, and that they will be receiving regular ongoing financial help from the church. Uh, presumably, many, many widows of different ages and the different situations were enrolled and were receiving uh, such financial help. However, at that time, giving financial help to all Christian widows did not do everyone good. In fact, it caused some problems to the church. And so Paul instructed Timothy that not all Christian widows should be officially enrolled to receive help. He said only some of them, they truly need help, that should be enrolled. And for this, he, he set up three policies, three rules about who should be enrolled, who, which widow should not be enrolled. Firstly, Paul said that if the, widow, if the widows had children or grandchildren, they should first be financially supported by their families and not burden the financial resources of the church. He said this in verse 4 and verse 16. First in verse 4, he says, if a widow had children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. And then in verse 16, he says, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So this is the first policy. The church should ensure that the widows are looked after by their Christian children and grandchildren. 
and a widow do not have any child, then her Christian relatives should look after her. And Paul said that it is a duty of all Christians to look after the needy widow in their family. He said in verse 4, it is a godly thing to do that is pleasing in the sight of God. On the other hand, Paul said it very strongly in verse 8, that if a Christian refuses to care for the widow in the family that really needs help, then that Christian is worse than an unbeliever. That Christian has denied his or her faith, ceased to become a Christian. That's how strong Paul put it. Secondly, Paul said that a widow should only be enrolled to receive financial support from the church if she was old enough and that she was faithful to her, pre- to her marriage previously. He said this in verse 9. He said, let the widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been a wife of one husband. Well, I guess when Paul said that she must not be less than 60 years of age, I don't think Paul meant that, you know, if she's 59 years old and 11 months, then she should not be received any help at all at that time. I guess the age 60 years old was just a benchmark, a standard benchmark to represent uh, those who are truly elderly, as, as opposed to those who are relatively young. So what Paul said here was that if a widow was, was old enough, then she should receive, be enrolled to receive help, but not those who are younger. Why? Because what happened was that those young widows at that time, after receiving financial support from the church, uh, they have a lot of time and freedom because they did not have to work to support themselves. And so with, with this freedom and free time, uh, they learn to be idlers, learn to be busybodies, gossiping from house to house, saying what they should not. Uh, this is what we read happened at that time in verse 13. And the phrase here, that the widows saying what they should not, saying what they should not, most likely refer to the spreading of false teaching among the Ephesus church that we read about in the earlier chapters uh, in First Timothy. The younger widows have been deceived uh, by those false teachers who are present, and they use their free time going from house to house, helping to spread those false teachings, saying what they should not. Uh, this then is a second policy for enrolling widows, do not enroll the younger one, but only those who are 60 years, over 60 years of age. The reason was so that the younger widows will learn not to be idlers, busybodies, and be deceived by false teaching. Instead, they are to be encouraged to remarry. They are encouraged to bear children and to devote themselves in helping to manage the household. As Paul said here in verse 14. In other words, Paul said that you need to keep these young widows occupied with godly things to do whether they be looking after children or helping them, helping with earning income for the family. Paul said, if you leave them either, then they will tend to be led astray by false teaching, led astray to do ungodly things. Uh, this is true not only for young widows, isn't it? But also for all of us. Most of, usually, often, if we do not keep ourselves busy with the good things, uh, we tend to end up doing silly things with our time. And this is so especially true uh, for young children. Uh, for instance, uh, there's, a, there's a field, there's a padang near my house, a nice playground uh, with, uh, with facilities for sports. As I drive past the place uh, every single, almost most of the days, I see the same group of school, ki- school kids uh, hang out there every single day. The same group of people, some primary age, some secondary age. And they are there uh, playing soccer or playing basketball. And I, I envy them. They have the time to be there every day to play sports. But then I thought to myself, yeah, they really have a lot of time after school. And it is indeed a good thing uh, for them to have these activities 
or to expand their physical energy, uh, to have social with their friends and hang out. Most likely, if they do not do this, then perhaps they don't know what to do after school. Uh, they might end up with the wrong company, as we often see with the school children around us. They might pick up smoking, drinking, or even taking drugs, or indulging themselves in pornography. Therefore, in the same way, back to our passage today, Timothy, Paul said that Timothy must ensure that the young widows are not, were not enrolled officially to receive financial help. It was to prevent them from being idle and be led astray. Finally, we come to the third policy regarding which widow was to be enrolled. And Paul said this in verse 10. He said, a widow must have a reputation for good works. An example of good works that Paul gave here was showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, and caring for the afflicted. These were given as examples because they were the common things that a godly Christian widow would do at that time for the church. And so to summarize, a widow must fulfill these three criteria in order to be enrolled to receive financial help from church. First, she must have no other family members or relatives. Secondly, she must be elderly enough. And thirdly, she had to be godly. Therefore, by implication, Paul is saying here that even if a widow has no other family members, even if she's more than 60 years of age, but if she has not shown to be godly, if she's ungodly, then she should not receive financial help from the church. The reason was because that an ungodly woman, if the ungodly woman was to receive, ungodly widow was to receive financial help, she would abuse the support and use the money to continue to live self-indulgent life. And Paul said the contrast here very starkly in verse 5, the contrast between a true widow that should be helped financially and a self-indulgent widow who should be rebuked. He said in verses 5 and 6, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. A true widow is one that has been left all alone, who has relied on God. She should be supported by the church. But a widow who is self-indulgent should be rebuked for her ungodly life instead. Paul used strong words, strong but true words here, that the self-indulgent one is dead even while she lives. And so now let us take a step back and understand why Paul said these policies regarding widows. Well, we see that Paul, Paul did care for social concern. He wanted true needy widows to be helped. But more importantly, he cared for the godliness of these widows. And so for Paul, the church is not primarily about making people's lives better. It's not primarily about making people's lives in church comfortable and cozy. But the church instead is about helping people to grow in godliness in Christ. And Paul said here that if withdrawing financial help from those who might need help, if, if withdrawing from help from them might actually prevent them from living ungodly lives, then the church should not give them ongoing financial support. And therefore, for our church here today, if there are needy among if there are needy people among us, but they are also ungodly and unrestrained, the church must first help them to submit to God, help them to obey God's good commandment, help them to stop their ungodly lives, and help them set their hope on the eternal kingdom of God. Uh, the church must not give them financial support that enables them to continue to live a self-indulgent life. The church must not allow them to abuse church support so that they could live independently of God. 
And so as a church, we must not only care about helping people physically, but firstly, we must care for their spiritual health. And we must know that our financial policy towards those so-called potential needy people can actually help them or hinder them in their growth of godliness before God. That was what we learned about how the church ought to treat the issue of widows in verses 3 to 16. Now we come to the third section where Paul turned to attention to how he ought, Timothy ought to treat elders in verses 17 to 25. Again, in this section, he started with the word honour. He said in verse 17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. Uh, the elders that Paul referred to here were also called the pastors or the overseers. The three words elders, pastors and overseers were used interchangeably in the New Testament uh, to describe the same leadership role in church. And their main leadership role of the elders here, as we've seen, was preaching and teaching God's word to the congregation. And when Paul said double honour, it meant that the congregation were to show them reverence as well as paying them money for the work that they do. That's what the double honour meant, reverence and wages. That's why Paul added in verse 18, the laborer deserves his wages right after this. And so this is what all churches must learn to do, and to give double honour to the pastors who lead by preaching and teaching God's word. Some Christians may not think that the pastors should be properly paid, probably because they think their pastors are to be a prime example of being poor and contented. So as if the poorer a pastor is, then the godlier he is. Well, the pastors themselves do need to make sure that they are not greedy for money, that they are contented. But it is not the congregation duty to keep them poor. It said it is a congregation duty to make sure that they are paid properly, as it is emphasized here in God's word, because pastors are doing a real full-time job in church. Well, I do find it difficult to talk about my own wages as a, as a pastor, but I try, not to shy it, I try not to shy away from it, because if pastors don't clearly teach about this truth of God, then who will? And let me continue to give us some perspective here. Uh, the job that, ch- that the pastors fulfill in church uh, is not only a full-time job, but a very important work. In the book of Hebrews, it is written that the job of the pastors is to keep watch over the souls of the congregation members, to keep watch over the souls of Christians. Through the preaching and teaching of God's word, the pastor maintains the faith of Christians. The pastors help secure their eternal salvation, as well as encourage them to live lives that is pleasing to God. This is important work that God himself commissioned pastors to do. And so the bottom line is that the church members have to ensure that the pastors are paid enough for their living expenses if they serve faithfully at church full-time. That was the first thing that Paul wanted Timothy to know regarding elders. But then secondly, he continued to say that although elders have an important role in church, but they are not perfect, they do have sins like every other Christians. And so the second thing that Paul told Timothy was that he must deal with the sins of the elders. But firstly, he said in verse 19, that before any charge of sin can be established against an elder, there must be at least two or three witnesses. Lest there, there is someone in the church who intend to maliciously malign the elder. 
And then in verse 20, he said that if elders were really found out to be sinning, then Timothy was to rebuke them privately first. And if they still persisted in their sins after being rebuked privately, then Timothy was to rebuke them in the presence of all congregation members. He said here in verse 20 that the sins of the elders, that elders who sin persistently must be rebuked in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. But the congregation must learn that sin is evil against God and it is not to be tolerated among the people, among his people. And so pastor who persists in sinning has set a very dangerous example to the other Christians. If he's sin, if he's not rebuked publicly for his unrepentance, then he will encourage others to have a lackluster attitude, to have a tita upper attitude towards sin. Earlier I mentioned that some Christians who have too little regard for the spiritual work of the pastors. But on the other hand, there could be an opposite extreme of attitude. There could be some Christians who have too much reverence for the pastor, probably because of the pastor's charisma or probably because of the Christians' own liking for their pastors. And so when their pastors sin against certain commandment of God, they may, turn, they may tempt to turn a blind eye and defend this pastor instead against God's own words. Paul said that this must not be the case. He says that if an elder has sinned, he must be rebuked. And if he must be rebuked publicly if he persisted in sinning. And most likely in this case, this elder would have been stripped of his leadership role. That is why Paul added these strong words in verse 21. He said to Timothy, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. In the presence of God himself and of Christ Jesus, the church must not show partiality to the sins of pastors. Uh, the discipline of church leaders are very important because of the effect that they can have on the godliness of the congregation. And so we see here the two balancing healthy attitudes that the church must have regarding pastors' leaders. On one hand, if they are serving faithfully, God, if are serving faithfully full time, then they should be deserve, they should be deserving of their proper wages. But if they err in sinning, they must be rebuked and be corrected. Finally, for the elders, Paul asked Timothy in verse 22 not to be too hasty in the laying on of hands. Uh, the laying on of hands was a term at the time to describe the commissioning of an elder, of a new elder by laying hands on, their head, on his head. Paul asked, therefore, Paul asked Timothy here not to be too quick in appointing people to become elders and pastors in church. Uh, Timothy must take time to evaluate those, those possible candidates because only time will tell if they are truly godly or if they have some hidden sin. Some people may appear godly at this moment, but Paul said give them some time maybe a year or two. Because he said in verse 24 that the, sin of some, the sins of some are obvious, but the sins of others may only appear later. And likewise, the good works of some Christians are obvious, but some may only be observable over a longer period of time, in verse 25. Again, because the elders play such an important role, leadership role in the church, that Timothy must be careful in appointing new leaders. And so, therefore, this is an important instruction as well for our church, especially 
for our current leaders and the church representatives who are involved in this area. Finally, we come to our fourth section in chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 2, where Paul turned his attention to the slaves in the church. And in this section, for a third time, Paul used the word honour to start off his instructions. He said in verse chapter 6, verse 1, slaves were to regard their own masters as worthy of all honour. Uh, Paul had to write this regarding slaves, probably because the Christian slaves might misinterpret their newfound freedom in Christ. Yes, it is true that Paul said, all Christians only have one true master, which is the one and true God in this universe. But this does not mean that the Christian slaves can now totally ignore their earthly master. Because the truth is that because of financial debts, uh, these masters were bought by their masters to do work to fulfill their duty. And so they must fulfill that to what they are paid to do. And their honouring of the earthly masters was totally in line with them submitting to the only Lord in this universe. In fact, Paul said that if the Christian slaves were to honour the name of God, then they must honour also their earthly master. And he added in verse 2 that if a Christian slave had a Christian earthly master, then the slave must not be disrespectful to this master simply because they are equal before Christ. He said that all the more these Christian slaves should serve the Christian master even better because all that he did would be a good service to his fellow believer. And likewise, the Christian master must receive the service of this Christian slave as a kind benefit from a fellow Christian, not just a duty from a slave. Well, how does it apply to us? Uh, very few of us are actually like, like the slaves in the first century, uh, but the principle is the same for us who are just a normal employees uh, in our company. The principle is that we are to fulfill our duty as employee, as we are paid to do. And we know that by doing this, we are honouring the name of God. And if we, have a, if we have a Christian boss or Christian supervisor, then we should seek to do our job even better as a service to our fellow Christian. And so, let's conclude what we have seen so far. Uh, I said in the beginning that Timothy's job in the church uh, was complex and difficult, uh, like a general manager. But not so much to generate profits, but to promote godliness in the church at every level. Uh, we have seen in this passage the numerous tasks facing Timothy. Firstly, he had to use God's words to encourage everyone, regardless of their age and gender. And then he had to have a clear policy regarding enrolling widows and to be firm in executing it. He had to command the families to look after their family members who are widows. And then he had to do the hard job of rebuking those unrestrained unrestrained young widows and those who were self-indulgent. He, he also had to make sure that true godly widows who were left all alone were properly cared by the church. And regarding elders, he had to make sure that those who are faithful in serving received their proper wages. But on the other hand, those who are sinning must be rebuked and corrected. And he had to know how to appoint elders, be patient in doing it. And finally, he had to manage the slaves and master relationship in the church. Uh, these were the important tasks that Timothy was to fulfill as a young leader in the Ephesus church. And God himself is the one who gave these tasks to Timothy through the Apostle Paul. 
God Himself has tasked Timothy to look after His own important organization called the Church of the Living God. The things that a pastor, a pastor ought to implement in a local church are not mere human regulations. They are the good commandments of God given to us Christians to instruct our new life in Jesus Christ, given for us to order our life together as a community under God's good rule. Uh, Paul said earlier in chapter 3, verse 15, that the church of the living God is a pillar and, is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Therefore, what God has ordained, what God has instructed for the church is the best way for us to live together as God's people in this world. And so finally, as those who are called by God, as those who believe that God has saved us from our former sinful lives, we strive to follow God's good instruction to live out our new life in Christ. And so we strive to obey God and strive to follow the godly leadership of the church leader. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us clear instructions on how to order every aspect of our life, every aspect of our new life in Jesus. Pray that we may submit to your good commandments and enjoy the true life that you have gifted to us. We pray this in the Son Jesus' name. Amen.